Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, June the 19th. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, and you can check out this show on replay at MetsMarinesOnline.com. Go to the Talking Mets uh, link at the top menu. You could also check it out on iTunes. Anywhere else you could possibly get a podcast, you could check it out. If you want to interact with me, go to Twitter at MikeSilvaMedia. MikeSilvaMedia.com is my personal website. You know, it's Father's Day, and I hope everybody's having a good day. If you watch the Mets the last few days, you're probably not. And hopefully today, for Father's Day, you didn't spend it at the ballpark. Or maybe you didn't even – hopefully you didn't spend it anywhere watching the Mets. And maybe you went and, and did something else because it's been a somewhat of a an exercise in frustration or futility over the last – maybe the last week, really, despite the fact that they played a little bit better against Pittsburgh. But I'm going to start out and um, – before we get to our guest, and, and we have a couple of good ones, we have uh, Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing, uh, coming up a little later in the program. We're also going to do a fun segment about ballparks with the summer coming up, and I'm sure some of you traveling, you may want to take trips to watch the Mets, or maybe just take trips to see another ballpark outside of City Field or Yankee Stadium here in New York. Uh, Kurt Smith, who uh, has a, a pretty cool website, Ballpark eGuides, ballparkeguides.com, has a must-have, and it's it's not a, uh, this is not a paid segment, it's, it's something that's Totally free, a public service for everybody listening to the program. Must have guides that will help you with everything you need to know with 16 of the 30 Major League Ballparks. So Kurt Smith will join us later. But, you know, I want to start out with a pretty obvious statement. Repeating is hard. Getting to the World Series is hard. Winning the World Series is even harder. Any sport, winning a championship is the single hardest thing. That's why... When you hear teams, maybe teams that have won 27 championships in this town, and their fan base oversimplify it, you, you almost have to laugh a little bit. You guys know it all takes a lot of different things, a lot, a lot of luck to win a championship, but it takes a team that's committed, a team that's focused, prepared to sacrifice. When they step between those lines, whether they like each other or not, they don't have to like each other. They're ready to dedicate what it takes in a business-like way to win that game, move on, get to the next game, really put everything you get, uh, you know, whatever you, you need to do to get that game, you get that game, move on. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to have peaks and valleys. But teams that have it, more often than not, step up and they get the job done, even when they don't have the most ideal situations, whether it be day game after a night game, lousy road trip, lousy schedule, injuries. You know, within reason, teams that have it and are prepared and committed to get the job done, 
get it done despite what, what's in front of them. And as Mets fans, you've seen this. It's you know not just you know you can make the jokes about how many bad seasons the team has had in its history, but they've had seasons. You saw it in 1986. You saw it a lot in the 80s. Uh, you saw it in 2006. You saw it after July 31st of last year. You know, a team that was focused and said they were ready to compete and take on whatever they had to take on, whatever adversity they had to take on, and they and and they go and they get the job done. And you know that. You know it in your heart. You know when you're watching a team play at a high level. When a team comes out consistently lackadaisical, has low energy, exhibits poor fundamentals, you know, just everything that's the opposite of what I just said is it for a team that wins. Then you have to ask yourself, do you have the wrong players or do you have the wrong people in charge? The 2016 Mets after this three games of the Braves, you're going to have to start to question those, those couple of things. And let's, let's, let's start with those who are going to say, well, look at the injuries that they have. They don't have Travis Darno, They don't have Lucas Duda. And they don't have David Wright. Darno will be back tomorrow. And as much of a blow that is, you should be able to survive six weeks without your starting catcher and get something uh, from the players behind the plate. Now, neither Rivera nor Ploiecki were great hitters, but defensively, Rivera was an upgrade on you know Darno himself. So I really can't complain about that. Duda certainly you miss his power, but the Mets have an abundance of power, and James Loney I think is an adequate replacement for a short period of time, better defensively than Duda, and maybe adds a component to the lineup that was missing, which is actually make some contact and spray the ball to different fields and go and go gap, which you saw last night, unfortunately, led to Wilma Flores being thrown out of the plate. And then you have David Wright, who has not been an elite player for a while now, was somewhat of a, of a of above average player at times last year when he came back in August. And Wilma Flores, to me, who offensively is just as good as the version of David Wright you were going to get, and probably just as good defensively, maybe better. And Wilma Flores is nothing great at third base, let's put it that way. So you really don't have the player excuse right now because your outfield is your outfield from the end of last year. Walker and Cabrera up the middle is just as good offensively as what you had last year, probably better on the – definitely better on the, on the defensive side. And you think you're going to get Duda back, and you probably will, so your power will be coming. So there's kind of an impact bat to a certain degree that will be coming back. The starting pitching is as good as it's ever been, probably – definitely better than last year. I shouldn't say probably, definitely – and the bullpen, despite the blips in recent weeks, is better than it was last year. So then you ask yourself, why are the Mets at this point the same record as they were a year ago? Why do they play without passion, without fire? Why do they make bad mistakes? Why do you see the things you saw with Kevin Ploiecki a couple of weeks ago uh, you know, not uh, properly blocking the plate uh, in a situation where they could just tag to get the runner out of the plate? Uh, tag the plate, basically a forced play. Uh, why do you see Curtis Granderson lope throws into second base and, and players on the opposite team taking advantage? You know, why does it seem that they come to the ballpark every day expecting to lose? And in my opinion, that falls on management. That falls on the guy in, in, that's running the team. This is a team, the 26 Mets, that came to spring training ill-prepared to compete and ill-prepared to defend their, uh, their NLE's title and ill-prepared to get back to where they were last year. They talked a good game. They told everybody that they wanted to get back, just like the Royals did and win at this time. But they have yet to show since the first day of camp that they are willing to do the things that are necessary to get back to where they were last year. You know, the Royals did it. It wasn't manifest destiny. It wasn't something that was just given to them. They had to get back last year. 
you know, they're not, the season's not just going to play out, and the Mets all of a sudden going to wake up, and it's game one of the World Series. There are teams ready to take it from you. The Nationals want to take it from them. The Cubs seriously want to take it from them. And there's a bunch of other teams that believe, hey, we're just as good as the Mets, and if we get in, we could go on the run that they did last year. Let's face it. The Mets were really fortunate last year, really fortunate. They got an impact player at the deadline. They were able to have a team, the Nationals, that hung around and didn't put them away. And they were able to capitalize that if they swept them three games at home right after the trade deadline, and they catapulted after that, and they made up probably about eight or nine games after that. Actually, it was an 11-game swing, if you really want to make it. I think they were down at one point in July about three or four games. I think they won it by seven or eight. You're not going to get lucky like that uh, uh, every year. What I see right now, and it's funny because I go to Zach Braziller's timeline. Zach Brazil, the New York Post, was at City Field today covering the Mets. And I see with, with Terry Collins, who right now, if you, you really want to make something, a dynamic change, and Collins indicated maybe they'll send Conforto down. You know, He says, and this is, I, I quote, uh, when they asked Collins about a shakeup, I got a lot of ideas about a shakeup. I'm not sharing one of them. Well, of course, not. Terry will never share anything in, in public because he has no ideas. Terry has no ideas. Trust me. I could tell you, hey, I got a great idea, guys. I'm just not going to tell you, but you'll see. That tells me you have nothing. And I'll go through the quotes here. This, this was basically Terry Collins after the Mets got swept by the Braves. Won't give any hints about whatever his shakeup is that he's claiming. Maybe Granderson going to the second hole. There's a bunch of other nonsense thrown out there. He, he says, I know how, is, how it is here, meaning New York. It's always our fault. We're not hitting. That guy pitched pretty good today. <laughs> it's always a tip of the cap to the other team. If you're the National League champs, you don't get shut down three games in a row by the, one of the worst teams in baseball. You don't. If you have World Series aspirations, it doesn't matter if Julio Tehran was, was pitching well. You find a way to win. You know, and the oldest idea is, well, you know, baseball's really hard. You guys don't understand how hard it is, and I'm here to tell you and educate you. Terry, stop, because you know what the real shakeup that needs to happen here? It's getting rid of you and getting rid of Dan Worthing, because under his watch, You've seen pitchers blow out their arms in that bullpen. You've seen two of your main uh, starting pitchers go down the tubes in DeGrom and Harvey. And you want to add Familia, who's not really uh, catapulting after last year's postseason. Which, by the way, you heard the excuse about Familia early in spring training about, well, maybe he's tired from last year. Last I looked, he got a lot of time off in November, December, January, February. They didn't pitch these guys a hell of a lot in March. So to be tired coming to spring training, well, he must have thrown a lot of innings there somewhere we don't know about. All winter. Excuses are abound every day from this manager. He doesn't want to criticize his players. Fine. Maybe he does it behind closed doors. But once in a while, use the media to your advantage. This is a team very comfortable. This is, these are guys that are hanging around waiting for the season to come to them and for things to start happening. You have to make things happen. Things happened last year because the Mets made them happen, not because all of a sudden they sat around and things changed. Maybe that's the way the story went because Cespedes came and voila, everything went better. But that's not exactly what happened. Cespedes came and with that, the team started to take advantage and seize an opportunity when they were waddling around throughout most of the season. You want them, you want them to save the season? You want to make a statement? You have to do something. And it's not sending Michael Conforto down. It's firing Terry Collins. He, you know, Gary Cohen was talking earlier today. There's two interesting stories that have come out. Gary Cohen was talking earlier today about how Curtis Granderson didn't really make a big deal about the play last night when uh, the Braves took the extra base on his lollipop throw the infield. 
To me, that's exactly the problem. Personally, I'm the manager. He sits today. I don't care he's a veteran. You could, sit, uh, you could, you could go after veterans, not Terry. Terry will never touch his veterans. Go after veterans. They're, they're a free game. Just because they've been in the league a long time and they're good guys and they've done things in the past doesn't mean that they're above being disciplined. Why? You're afraid that they're gonna, you're going to make them look bad? Maybe he'll think twice next time. Harold Reynolds told a story, and I don't really know if I'll take as much stock in this, but he had said something about, I guess, last weekend in Milwaukee. How at one point, Stephen Matz was the only player in the dugout, and everybody else was in the clubhouse, and that tells you a lot about the team. It does. It tells me that they're really they're hanging out, and they're really not interested in what's going on in the game. I don't know if that really happened, but if that happened, if it happened on Matz's start, Collins wasn't there. It was Dick Scott managed the team. That's the day Collins went to the hospital. That's a bad sign. That tells you that this team is not, you know, they're, they're missing that gear. They're not really focused on, on, on basically going out there and getting the job done. They're just, they're just showing up to work. And if that's the way this team is going to go about things, that's a shame because they have a golden opportunity with this young pitching, with the opportunity now in a league that really isn't all that good. You have the Cubs who are really hot. Nationals are playing well. The Giants are playing well, but everybody else is right there in the muck, and now it looks like the Mets are going to be one of those teams in the muck who may or may not squeak into the wild card, and then we'll see what happens. Now, they get to the playoffs, they think they could turn a switch on, you know, maybe that could happen, but normally teams that say, I'll be there, and when the bell rings, the switch will go on, they find out when that switch gets turned on, there's a lot of things missing. The amazing part is, I think it was Gary Cohen that said, you know, when is it time for a team to start I guess, kicking into gear, he asked Terry Collins. And Terry's like, well, the all-star break. Okay, so we're going to sit around for another three, four weeks? Terry, you got to take some of these games against Atlanta, and you got the Royals now uh, next week because you're facing the Nationals, the Cubs, and I could guarantee you those teams are not taking time off until the all-star break. That's the leadership you're getting with Terry Collins. Guys, it's right in front of you. He's, a, he's been a lousy manager since day one. He was the worst hire they could have made. Out of all the managers that they, uh, they interviewed during that process, Clint Hurdle, Bob Melvin, Wally Backman, who was my choice. Bob Melvin and Clint Hurdle probably were better choices at that time, and I hated the idea of Melvin. And I was like, eh, about Clint Hurdle, but look at what Clint Hurdle's done a nice job in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they're struggling right now. They have the worst possible manager. And you say, well, how can you fire Terry? They're not going to pay for two managers. Or, well, you know, the other thing you hear people say, well, he's got the all-star game he's got to manage. David Black got fired by the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers might win a championship tonight. Now, you may say that that was a, a, a bad move and unprofessional, and they probably are in Game 7 with David Black, with, you know, whether he was here or not. I don't know. Something wasn't working. And the Cavaliers said, we have an opportunity to do something. We're going to go out and make the change, and they did, and now they're a game away from winning a championship. You don't sit back with this very measured, methodical, thought process all the time. Sometimes you need to do something to shake things up. And sending Michael Conforto down ain't the answer. Bringing up Brandon Nimmo, I don't think it's going to shake people up. You know, TJ Rivera, whoever else they're thinking of, firing the manager is what you need to do. Don't worry. He got his Lifetime Achievement Award already all offseason when they threw bouquets at him. He blew the World Series, and you guys, I, I see you guys on Twitter. You guys don't get it. He blew the World Series. Two bad managers, one Ned Yost, the other Terry Collins. At least the other bad manager said, let me bring my closer in for two innings 
when I have the lead in game four. The other guy has a lead in game four. He says, let me, let me mess around with Tyler Clippard, who had not shown anything of any lockdown nature for a couple of months. Who's the, be- you know, who, who's the boob in that situation? He's a bad manager. He's a low-energy guy. He's afraid to c- criticize his players. He's not intelligent. He's not even healthy anymore. He had to get rushed to the hospital a week ago. There's too much other stuff in the way right now. They need some money that's going to come in there, light a fire, and say, okay, guys, we're the NLEs champs. We're still in this thing. This is about getting back to where we, we want to go, and let's forget about all this other garbage. And go out there and start seizing things and start grabbing things and start going out there and competing like you are. They don't play. They don't play like they're the champs. They play no differently than they did in 2012, 2013, 2014. It's just, you know, get along, go along. And you're going out there and you're hearing, well, you know, they got a lot of injuries. It's just a, it's just a facade, guys. The offense should not be this bad. The, the fundamentals should not be this bad. This is a team that is right now lost. And the only way you're going to get things changed is by firing the manager. And I've told you that for a while. He should have never came back this year. The, the worst part about what happened last year about going to the World Series is that it saved Terry Collins. And now they're going to piss away prime years of contention on a manager that's incapable of getting to the next level. And I see a lot of anger out there, but I still see a lot of excuses, and I still see a lot of people thinking that, well, it's not fair, it's not right, well, the manager doesn't matter. Well, then, guys, the manager doesn't matter, then let, let, you know, let them manage themselves then. Something needs to change, and Terry Collins can sit there and talk about, I got this little coy idea of a shakeup. I'm not going to tell you. He has no answers. Trust me. He's got no answers. And I tell you what, Terry, the idea I have a shakeup, shakeup is a lot better than yours, and you're not going to like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When I return, Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing, will join me as uh, we'll get his take on what's going on. And he's probably going to be a little more balanced and not quite as angry as I am. Although even for an angry guy, I still didn't go out there rant and rave and you know make a scene of myself like some other members of the uh, the New York radio media. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast here on the MetsmorizedOnline.com. Check it out, MetsmorizedOnline.com. Go to the link. You can check me out on iTunes. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. We'll be right back. Left center off the bat of Loney. It will roll to the wall. Here comes Flores around third. Throw to the plate. And Flores is out. Oh, my, what a relay. How would you like to get all of your favorite Mets merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team. In this case, it'll be the Mets. And every month, you get Mets gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code TALKINMETS, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-M-E-T-S, at checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all the essentials you need. Let them know that the Talking Mets podcast sent you. We're back. Talking Mets podcast, and joining me, you all know him, Greg Prince, uh, the famous blog, Faith and Fear and Flushing. 
has a book out. Uh, if you haven't read it yet or received it yet or purchased it yet, you should. Amazing again how the 2015 New York Mets brought the magic back to Queens, and you can check them out on Twitter at Greg underscore Prince. Greg, uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, how you doing, my friend? Fine, Mike. How are you? Can't complain. Well, now, were you at the ballpark or were you partaking in the uh, today's game? And I'm sure you, knowing you, you were watching every inning of the of the last three monstrosities that we've seen uh, from the New York Mets. Uh, I somehow managed to miss being on site, but I did uh, take in at least several innings when I wasn't uh, nodding off from the excitement during uh, Sunday's game. So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> a terrific Father's Day gift to all Mets fans this weekend, unfortunately. You, 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 you've been watching the Mets a long time, and what I was saying in the open is that you know when a team has it. It's that, how can I say, everything, it's not just about the luck that comes with winning it all and, and how difficult it is to repeat, but a team starts to play at a high level. Things start to happen. You feel it. You you know every day when you go to watch them that when they come to the ballpark, they're going to compete. And they may not win, but you're going to see something that's going to put them in the best position possible to win every day. Knowing how hard it is to repeat, and I understand that it's still very early, something's telling me that this team, something's off. And it's not just injury. Something's off. Something's missing. And you got to wonder if they have the ability to kick this thing into gear this year. Well, the best thing they have going for them is that there are a lot of games left, and there is a lot of talent in this lineup, even as constituted. I, mean, I was looking at the lineup today and thinking, you know, these are not bad players, but there is indeed something that just doesn't spark. Uh, you know, we, we've seen them hit home runs all year, and that, that's become kind of a calling card that either they hit home runs or they hit nothing. And, you know, these are, you know, other than Cespedes and Granderson, these are not guys who are necessarily big-time power hitters to begin with. So you assume they've gotten somewhere in their lives by getting base hits and running from first to third successfully and things like that. And, it, it, yeah, I, I agree that it just it doesn't feel right, which is not exactly a, you know, veteran scout's assessment. Uh, you know, again, the, the only thing I really take comfort in is one year ago at this time, the Mets were playing the Braves uh, at Turner Field the exact same weekend and the exact same result. Uh, they were swept three in, in the middle of, you know, one of their needers of 2015, uh, what became a seven-game losing streak. And at the time, it was, oh, my God, they, you know, they can't do anything right. But, you know, that they had already had a good start and you knew that they were depleted, and it didn't quite feel as if they were underachieving exactly. They were still kind of finding themselves. So, uh, you know, the the, uh, the answer is out there somewhere. I'm just not sure what it is. Sometimes it requires a shakeup, and um, I'm not sure if that's going to do anything. But right now, you know, Terry Collins has talked about a shakeup. I'm not sure Mike sending Michael Conforto down is necessarily going to change anything. You know, they got Chavis Darno coming back, and certainly that's going to help. He said he had an idea of a lot of shakeups, and, and I'm not sure what that means, but my idea is one. Maybe firing the manager is the shakeup that this team needs. Let's face it. He skated last year. He was probably going to get fired if they didn't go on that run. Uh, I don't know about you, but a lot of Mets, Mets fans never wanted him here in the first place. Um, he may have been the worst choice out of all the guys that they were interviewing back five years ago. You had Clint Hurdle and Bob Melvin and Wally Backman. Uh, 
I'm, I think you're a little bit more pragmatic than I, but you've been watching a lot of Mets baseball, and you've been watching a lot of baseball. I think of the 88 Red Sox when Joe Morgan took over from John McNamara. Um, you know, sometimes a managerial change, all of a sudden, you know, th- that shakes people up. Not sure that's what the Mets are going to do. Uh, is that something what, – what do you think about something like that? Uh, you know, after a three-game sweep at the hands of a last-place team, uh, you know, you're in the mood to, to, to treat the team like a snow globe when you talk about shaking up. And honestly, one of the, you know, the, the thought that was in my head in the eighth and ninth inning was take any five guys, send them down, bring up any five guys as long as one of them isn't Eric Campbell. Uh, so, you know, this, this is not the best time to uh, to, to make uh, concrete plans that aren't influenced by emotion. Um, I can't see them firing Terry Collins, certainly at this stage where they are still one of the two wild card teams uh, last I looked. Um, again, I always go back to this with Terry Collins. We're talking now, what, sixth season of his administration and I have yet to read one blind or attributed quote that is remotely critical of him from a player. And I, I think that goes a long way because these days you're hired to manage the people, not so much strategize the games or, or make lineups or whatever. And I, I have to believe that he is influenced this, you know, but by his front office for that sort of thing is concerned. Uh, would it work? I don't know. I mean, you, you, you cited a, a fascinating example, uh, you know, a, a Red Sox team that was sort of teetering on the brink of, uh, of a race in 1988, and they bring in a guy, uh, you know, a, a coach who had been there or you know, managing Pawtucket for years, and the uh, next thing you know, they won like some insane number of home games in a row. But, you know, those are, you know, those are kind of shots in the dark, to be honest. I don't have a, I don't have a manager in my pocket, shall we say. So, I don't think that's happening, certainly, that they're not going to take it out of him, considering the injuries. Uh, I think, honestly, this is a bit of a look-in-the-mirror situation for these players. Uh, These are the guys who are getting shut out by the Braves. Uh, I don't know what Collins could have done this weekend in particular, and I'm not sure what he could have done necessarily. All all told, they're still... You know, over 500, still in a wild card lead. It's it's not really what you where you want this team to be. But uh, you know, if we, if we circle back to there's more than half a season remaining. You don't want it to get away, but uh, I, I just don't see it happening. Is the thing. You, you so you say you don't miss the chaos of 1999 with Bobby Valentine and Steve Phillips and firing coaches. <laughs> Brings, let's get that kind of you know I'm looking for that kind of uh, of drama. It'd be make for good talk radio, make for good podcast. Um, probably not the most functional way. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I actually called MLB Talk Radio recommending um, uh, what we just talked about with firing Terry Collins, and Steve Phillips was the host, and he kind of poo pooed it. I said, but but Steve, you did the same thing, and he didn't know what to say. He kind of he kind of shut up for a second. So I don't know. I guess you're not pining for the days of 1999 and that kind of chaos. Well, that I'm. I'm pining for the offense of 1999, that's for certain. Sure. But, uh, you know, that that was a strange interlude in the 1999 season because that was a team that was doing pretty well until it hit a rough patch. And it was a, one of those rough patches where you just can't believe they're ever going to win another game. Uh, and then you throw in the fact that Bobby Valentine and Steve Phillips were, were never meant to be in the same room, let alone probably on the same planet. 
I, I don't think that's the case between Sandy Alderson and Terry Collins. And, uh, you know, to be fair to Terry Collins, however it happened last year, he has a National League championship under his belt, uh, which is something to that point, Valentine hadn't won anything. So, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's apples and oranges, but, you know, chaos is great if you can make something of it. I, I don't know that uh, the the ingredients are quite there. Uh, you know, the, thing, the 1999 team had was, uh, you know, Ventura and Alfonso and Piazza in the middle of their lineup. And, uh, you know, we're missing uh, the equivalent of at least two of those guys right now, probably two and a half. So uh, it's it's interesting. It's it's you know again, but but for every uh, chaos, we almost uh, fired Bobby Valentine, or we almost fired Yogi Berry. You get a lot of well, we replaced Jeff Torborg with Dallas Green, or we replaced uh, Willie Randolph with Jerry Manuel, and uh, you know nothing happens either. So yeah, if, if if that is really the cause, go for it. But I, I just not, I'm just not convinced. Jose Reyes and David Wright, 10 years ago, if we were doing this podcast, uh, you and I would be talking about what a great foundation they uh, they are. Wright, uh, I, I think his career is over. Even if he comes back, I don't think the fans really understand the magnitude of what disc, disc surgery in your neck uh, is. I know people have gotten to car accidents and you know have, have thought about doing that same surgery, and they're not ball players, and they're like, you know, it limits your range of motion and – there's all sorts of things that come with that. And then Jose Reyes, who probably could still play a little bit, and doesn't seem like anybody wants him, including the Mets, who right now could use offense. And from all reports, uh, Reyes would have played third, second. He's, he just wants to get back here. Uh, you you watched Doc and Darrell. You saw that descent and how sad that was. You know, right and Reyes is a little bit different, different type of descent. Um, does this one hurt you a little bit more because of how both those guys you know, you saw the Doc and Daryl situation. You figured this will never happen again. Then you see those two guys. They have all that success, division championship 2006. And that night where, you know, they beat the Dodgers and, and it looked like this was going to be every year for at least a short period of time, it never got better than that. So historically, I'm curious, you know, as you saw the news this week with those two guys, what was going through your mind? You know, they hold a very special place in my heart, not just as a Mets fan, but, you know, Jason Fry and I began Faith and Fear and Flushing uh, at the outset of spring training in 2005, which was, you know, supposed to be the dawn of that great era. You know, when Omar Minaya came in, Willie Randolph came in, and Carlos Beltran was reporting uh, for spring training. And it struck me that at the time, Beltran Sr. was the veteran, Reyes and Wright were the the pups who had had a little bit of experience, and I, I clearly remember an article in all the papers uh, said, you know, Beltran is I'm going to take them under these my wing. I'm taking the Gold's Gym. I'm going to show them my workout program. I don't know what whatever happened with that, but uh, I, I tend to keep track of a, a statistic I call longest ago met still active. Uh, Entering the 2015, excuse me, 2016 season, uh, the the Met who had been around the longest, somebody who had played for the Mets far back enough to say, you know, he's still here, was Jose Reyes, you know, still active in the majors. The next most active was David Wright. You figure those guys are good for at least another five years. Well, Reyes is in limbo. Wright is in limbo. Carlos Beltran is now the Met. (laughs) The longest... (laughs) Tenure, or you know, the former Mets, who is the longest tenure still active in the major leagues, and that and that guy is, by all accounts, while having a great season, you know, is you know the ancient Mariner, so to speak, uh, or ancient Yankee, if you will. So it's it's just kind of a, a strange 
point in your life when you realize those players you thought of as, as those kids who were going to, you know, only get better as they got older or suddenly, you know, tilting toward baseball old and, you know, you, the fan who, uh, you know, came along long before they did, you know, what is that? How old does that make you? So, um, you know, from that perspective, it's it's all a little mind-boggling this week. Um, I couldn't say what David Wright's future is after surgery. It, you know, it's not a good thing for him to go through, given what he was already going through. Reyes is, you know, you would figure going to catch on somewhere. I, I imagine they're waiting out the 10-day period in Colorado uh, to see if, uh, you know, they can trade him or he's just fully released or whatever. And I certainly understand the, the baggage attached to him um, and that I don't think there's ever a lot of love lost between the, the current front office and him. So I don't know. Uh, it is it is tough to see. I, I don't see it as a Doc and Daryl thing. Neither one of them was, you know, quite self-destructive. And honestly, neither one of them reached the heights. Uh, although they're both terrific players uh, at their peak, uh, neither one of them was quite Doc and Daryl uh, at their peaks. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice if we could get a couple of guys going uh, through their careers and um, let, let them ride all the way to Cooperstown in, in, a, in a Met uniform with no, uh, no, no, no stops along the way. Uh, Greg Prince with us, Faith and Fear and Flushing, at Greg underscore uh, Prince, uh, uh, joining the program. You mentioned Beltron. Here's the, you, know, you probably have read the, the, the talk. Over 400 home runs now having somewhat of a comeback season now with the Yankees at age 39. He's more of a DH than anything. Here's a guy who, you know, I, I said borderline Hall of Famer, a guy that if we were talking five years ago after his microfracture surgery, you and I might be saying, well, he's done. You know, you're never going to mm-hmm. see the same Beltron again. And he's had quite a few, I mean, two all-star seasons and uh, certainly uh, uh, an all-star this year or at least a potential all-star. So you never know. I guess that's a cautionary tale for uh, for those who write off David Wright, like what I, like I just did. But anyway, uh, interesting scenario, uh, uh, Greg. That if Beltron goes down as a Hall of Famer, and you know, whenever he retires five years after, and let's assume that he doesn't play, you know, another five six years with the Yankees or goes back to Kansas City, he probably could go in as a Met. There's a big argument for that. It's really interesting how that's going to turn out. And it's really going to be interesting how Mets fans view him because despite the fact he's the, probably the best free agent signing the team ever had, and he yielded Zach Wheeler, who may yield many more rewards after Beltron's been gone, you don't get the feeling that they, they love him as their own. And I just find that interesting considering how good he was for the team. I n- understand 06 and what happened there at the end, but it just baffles me, and it'll be interesting to see how that changes when he retires, and he very well may be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he'd given a quote in spring training when asked about it, you know, who would you go in, in as, you know, what cap would you wear if it was up to you? And he said, I guess the Mets. <laughs> it uh, struck me as um, surprising because I, I didn't necessarily think he enjoyed the entirety of his tenure here. Uh, I'd like to see that. I, I get the feeling if he does go in, and I, I think those those odds are increasing, he might be one of those guys who you see with a blank cap or a, uh, a head with a, a head with a. Uh, well, right now he, he's uh, smooth shaven up there, <laughs> perhaps without a cap at all. Um, you know, I think he's just a guy who's going to look better in the net fan rearview mirror as we go along. I suppose there'll always be people who hold a bit of a grudge for the fact that uh, he took a, a, a 
strike at the worst possible time, but that was one pitch out of many. Uh, you're absolutely right about um, thinking somebody like that is done. I mean, I, I wrote a piece in spring training of 2011, which was the last year of his contract, and we were all pretty sure he was going to get traded. I still remember the headline, The Lion in Winter in Right, because he was moving over from center to right because he was coming off uh, knee surgery. He was making room for Angel Pagan. And you know, I, I remember framing it as, you know, here's a guy in his last year, last year as a Met, but in my mind, could have been the last year of his career because he missed so much time. Well, five years later, <laughs> he is uh, still, still succeeding uh, quite a bit. Uh, albeit, you know, not in the field. So, um, you know, I, I don't say too many Yankees, but more power to him. Uh, he, he, I thought he gave it his all here. He he reminded me, I, I never saw Joe DiMaggio play, but everything that was written about a guy who made it look easy, I just think that was Beltron's uh, way, that, that, that there was a certain grace to him that I really enjoyed watching. And uh, I, I hope someday uh, that he, he is a Hall of Famer and uh, – if he can go in as a Met, that would be great. And if, if he doesn't go in as a Yankee, that would be even better. <laughs> One last thing before we wrap up. Uh, you wrote a piece a couple of days ago after John Gant uh, pitched very well against the Mets, and you said you get what you give. And you're right. When the Mets acquired Kelly Johnson and, uh, and Uribe and they re- acquired Cespedes, at the time you're just like – you're so excited to get those players that I don't know if the fans really – because nobody from the big league roster – including Zach Wheeler, who originally was going to get traded, went in any of those deals. So you're like, wow, Mets got all these players, didn't give up much, and, and sometimes you don't know what you give up. And uh, I think they knew a little bit about Michael Fulmer, but now Michael Fulmer would, would certainly fit right in with all these young starters. And who knows about Gantt, you know, Dario Alvarez, who they had to get rid of because they needed roster space for James Loney, you know, pitches uh, out of a jam last night. And you made a great point. The fans are going to get upset. Oh, look, you know, they could have John Gant. Look, oh, look, we could use a guy like Alvarez. He's better than Bestardo. But at some point, if the Mets make a deal this year, if that hurts, whatever they give up this year is going to hurt even more because you don't have as much down there that you could just put in a deal. You don't have a Michael Fulmer that you could put in a deal. You, you may have to give up a Wilmer Flores or a Zach Wheeler who will hurt a lot more because obviously he's a little bit more established uh, to a certain degree. Um, you know, to go for it now, to go for it with this group, if they show that maybe they show a little bit more life and there's an opportunity to acquire Jonathan Lucroy or somebody that can make a difference. Uh, you know, Greg, are you ready to give up that piece that hurts a little bit? Or or do you feel you rather kind of play it a little bit halfway and, and see if you could win with these guys and, and also have an eye towards the future? You know, it really depends where they are when they make the trade, if we're talking about, you know, and I right there in the middle of the playoff scramble. I don't know, uh, you know how far behind they'll be the Nationals, be behind the Nationals by then. Uh, if it's a matter of holding on to a wild card spot, I, th- I think if you have a, you judge yourself a legitimate contender and you are not talking about, you know, t- tomorrow's Bryce Harper or Mike Trout, you have to lean in the direction of making the trade that will get you to your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal is to win a World Series and to play in that postseason tournament. Uh, Gretchen, without without damaging you in the long term. I mean, listen, I had never scouted Michael Fulmer last year, let alone Sean Tans, but uh, I was, like I said, I was fine with all of it because, you know, 
chances like this, especially for this franchise, given the post-Reyes and post-peak of right uh, reality we were living in, didn't come along very often. And, uh, you know, they, they, they took it, they went for it, and uh, it paid off. I, th- I think you know, if we were looking at a team that got swept by the Braves a couple of years ago, uh, you know, even a lousy Braves team, we probably shrug. I mean, it would be a lousy weekend, but we'd say, well, typical Mets. But the idea that we're treating this as atypical Mets and the the idea that, you know, we're we're talking about a team that's a few games over 500 in playoff position, uh, and that's not enough, is a good thing because, you know, our expectations have been raised, and legitimately so. So, you know, within reason, uh, you know, and I, I trust those those who make these decisions to do their due diligence, uh if it's like that one guy you judge to be the difference, if it is, you know, the catcher you need or the extra bat or the extra arm, gosh, yes, go ahead. But uh, unfortunately, like you said, there aren't quite as many resources at the minor league level. So it will be more challenging this year to make that kind of magic. Amazing again how the 2015 New York Mets brought the magic back to Queens is the book. Uh, Greg, are you uh, what, what do you got coming up? Are you working on any other projects? Can we see another book? Maybe the great comeback of 2016 in the future. Um, what do you got? What do you got going on at Faith and Fear and Flushing and with your book and and what have you? Well, uh, let me plug two appearances that are coming up on behalf of Amazing again. Uh, one will be Saturday, June 25th. 3 o'clock at the Queens Library, Briarwood Branch in the central southern Queens to be into the Van Wick Expressway. Uh, one will be Thursday, July 28th, 7 o'clock in Hoboken at uh, Little City Books. Uh, some readers from New Jersey have been nice enough to ask when, I, when I'm crossing the, the river. Here I come. Uh, <laughs> as far as uh, other books, I am working on something for uh, the same publisher that did Amazing Again, uh, it is an examination of, I mentioned 1999 before, uh, an examination of the Mike Piazza years in New York, kind of a uh, celebration and of, of his Hall of Fame induction, his number retirement, but also a consideration of, of why this means something to us as a fan base, that uh, Mike Piazza you know, never really left our psyches after all these years and remained a cause. So you know, in, in the book, I kind of delve into the you know the, the rituals and the, the the ceremonies and and that sort of thing that uh, gets us hung up as players, as, as well as attempting to kind of recreate the feeling of 1998 to 2005, and that that sense you got when Piazza stepped into the batter's box. So uh, it'll it'll cover the period from 1992 when uh, Tom Seaver was inducted into the Hall of Fame at the first and for a long time the only met to quote go in as a met uh and carry you know stu- study the the franchise and uh the catcher that it eventually got kind of on the divergent paths that intersected on may 22nd 1998 and uh take us through piazza's career as a met and then uh, kind of the afterlife of his career which i'm finding kind of interesting uh, you know how we react to it and how reputations are cemented and that sort of thing. So uh, that that's what I'm working on right now in terms of uh, the next book, hopefully out next year. Amazing that that Friday afternoon when that trade went down, who would have thought where Piazza is now, the love that he has for Mets fans, the Hall of Fame, the fact that you're writing a book about that era. All the, all you were trying to do that Friday night, I think Steve Phillips, was to see if you could win and 
and, and get the needle moving in the right direction. I don't think anybody thought that Mike Piazza would become, for, for not being a homegrown player, become one of the most popular Mets south of Tom Seaver. And for a younger generation, Greg, who didn't see Seaver like you, he's Mr. Met, not Tom Seaver. It's just interesting. Yeah. A little, little less side divergent note before we wrap up here. I just thought that was interesting listening to you talk. Yeah, well, that's, that's very true. And I, I think there's an electric reaction to Piazza that, quite frankly, there may not be to any other Met past or present when he shows up. And, you know, the, the, the fact that, that that candle, that flame remained lit, that every January when the votes came in for the Hall of Fame and it was obvious the writers were in wait-and-see mode, you know, looking for some sort of evidence that they shouldn't put the greatest hitting catcher in the Hall of Fame and that a, a fan base that had only had Piazza to cling to for, for, for seven years uh, took it personally. And really, when it when it comes down to fandom, that that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, having having a team, or in this case, having a player to call your own. I just think, oh, Piazza probably more than Seaver. Not not a greater not a greater player, greater myth than Seaver by by any means. But uh, I think for his era, he was the guy in a way that even Seaver wasn't for those Mets. It was just a different time. You weren't talking. Yes, he was the franchise, obviously, but. You know, there wasn't the merchandising and marketing that went on in Seaver's day that there was in Piazza's day. And every time something was released uh, by whatever company from 1998 to 2005 that involved the Mets, Mike Piazza's face was on it. He was literally the face of the franchise. And every commercial, every pocket schedule featured Mike Piazza. And, uh, yeah, the, the excitement of that, that Friday afternoon in May of 98 uh, – you know, if, if if Twitter had been around then, uh, if the internet had had been had more deeply rooted then, I'm I'm sure it all would have blown up. As it was, you know, I'll, I'll never forget just getting a series of phone calls between I think it was between five and six o'clock in the evening from from friends of mine. Like, can you believe what just happened? And like a friend of mine, I was going to the game with, like got a, got off the highway and went to ran to a payphone to call me. So uh, it, it was just one of those signal moments, and the fact that it worked out. Because you know you you weren't too deep into the Piazza stay when it was considered well he's he's not going to hang around and he hits into too many double plays and people are booing him and there was even talk of you know maybe they'll trade him before July 31st which I never believed but uh, you know it wasn't a given that he would resign but he did and uh, you know the, the era was underway. Well, Greg, thanks a lot for coming on on Father's Day. Have a good Father's Day. Uh, great you. book you got here, and looking forward to the Piazza book. And uh, let's check, let's uh, catch up again. Alrighty. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much. And that's Greg Prince, Faith and Fear and Flushing at Greg underscore Prince on Twitter. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, then we're going to get to something a little bit more fun. We'll 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 put the Mets and the nonsense aside, and uh, talk about ballparks. And if you're going to be traveling this summer, Kurt Smith has the ballpark e guide, at least for 16 of the 30 teams for you. It'd uh, be interesting to get his take on uh, some of his favorite ballparks, ballparks that maybe you uh, as Mets fans, if you want to check the Mets on the road this summer, you, you know, the Mets are going to Detroit, of course, Washington, Wrigley Field. Maybe there's a, a gem out of those uh, trio that you guys want to uh, hear from Kurt about. So Kurt Smith, ballpark, you guys will be joining us and we get to hear from him about uh, his website, what he does and, and some of his favorite ballparks. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can listen to the show all the time on MetsMorizedOnline.com. Just go to the Talking Mets link, 
and uh, you can check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever other podcasting service you uh, have. I'm sure I'm on it. We'll be right back. How would you like to get all of your favorite Mets merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team. In this case, it'll be the Mets. And every month you get Mets gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code TalkinMets. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-M-E-T-S at checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all the essentials you need. Let them know that the Talking Mets podcast sent you. We're back. Talking Mets. Mike Sylvie here. Final segment. And yeah, it's Father's Day and we have a lot of stuff to talk about with the Mets. I wanted to do something fun. It's uh, almost the end of the June, of course, and summer vacation is probably upon us for a lot of, uh, of you fans out there, kids getting out of school. Maybe for Father's Day you got some tickets to the ball game, or maybe you're thinking about getting your dad or your or your, your parents in general tickets to the ball game. And as fans, a lot of what fans do is they like to travel. And when you travel to other ballparks, it's not like City Field where you know what to go, you know where to take, you know where to park. It could be a little bit of a stressful experience. I've done it a few times, and uh, one of the indispensable resources is Kurt Smith's Ballpark E-Guides, and uh, you can go to ballparkeguides.com or at ballparkeguides on Twitter, and he's joining me now. And no, this is not a paid segment. I actually am doing this as a service for you guys uh, because I think it's been a pretty cool thing that I've used. Kurt, Mike Silva, Talking Mets Podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Now you're a South Jersey Philly guy, so before we get started, should I should I throw the uh, throw you to the wolves? Are you a Phillies fan that started this? Because I've never really I've never really asked you this. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. Uh, I live 15 minutes away from the front door of Citizens Bank Park. Uh, but actually, the reason that I got started with this is because I have lived in the Philadelphia area my whole life, but I'm an Orioles fan. And I used to make uh, four or five trips to Camden Yards every year to watch a game. So I had a favorite uh, peanut vendor, I had a place to get my hot dogs and my scorecards outside, and I saved money on, on tickets knowing where to sit and all of that sort of thing. And that's actually how I got started with this, because being of limited means, I, I, I could only go to so many ball games, and I had to save some money other ways too. So that was, And I thought it would be a neat thing to help other people do the same. You have now, am I correct, 16 e-guides of – 16 big league ballparks? 16, and it's going to be 15 once Turner Field closes at the end of the year. So I'm Correct. going to have to get back to Atlanta somehow. But, yeah, yeah 16 at do, this moment. And do that. So you basically have more than half the league. And let's start out and, um, you know, let's let's start out with the one that they know, the fans will probably know, and that's City Field. And you've done both City Field and Yankee Stadium. Um, give me an idea. What are your thoughts on City Field? As someone who's seen quite a number of ballparks and not only older ballparks – like Wrigley Field, but a lot of newer ballparks as well. Mm -hmm. How does City Field stack up? What has been your City Field experience like? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, because every time I go to City Field, uh, the ballpark really grew on me. I wasn't all that crazy about it at first. Uh, I I like that it's in kind of like the heart of Queens where, where Shea Stadium was, and it's kind of a something of a residential area. 
But I, I, I thought that with that, there should have been more of an outside scene, and, and there really isn't much of that at City Field. There's, there's, it's kind of like there's not really anything but muffler shops there, and, and then it's you have brutal. to get into the ballpark before you, uh, before you actually start experiencing the whole baseball atmosphere. But I will say this, City Field is really growing on me. I, I love the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. Uh, I, the food selection there is just spectacular. I mean, I just uh, – I can't – I can't think of a ballpark, maybe Nationals Park in Washington and Progressive in Cleveland, but not too many ballparks just have this amazing selection of food at City Field. And it's all good. I, I, I really – I don't think I've ever eaten anything at City Field that I didn't like. I've had the Shack Burger. I've had the the um, that pressed sandwich by uh, Josh Capone. I think I pronounced his name right. Um, you know, I've just never had a bad meal there. I've, I've, you got ten different kinds of French fries, and and so it's – it's definitely an amazing ballpark as far as the, the, the food is concerned, but it's also a, a really beautiful ballpark. It's, they really did a nice job with it. Uh, I don't have a lot of complaints other than the, uh, the lack of an outside scene. But it's, it's, Do I rank it in my top five? Probably not, but um, I do like it every more the, uh, uh, all that much more every time I go. And with me, Kurt Smith, ballparkeguides.com. He does uh, reviews on ballparks, currently 16 big league ballparks. And I'll tell you what, Kurt, I used your guide to go to uh, mm-hmm. uh, see a Nationals game and a Pirates game. I was traveling for business a couple of years ago. And I'll tell Thank you, you. Uh, one thing. I mean, the, the Nationals, what was valuable about your guide, because not only do you talk about the food and the ballpark, but you have transportation uh, advice, um, mm-hmm. you know, park, a very you know, important parking, thing. which is really good things. I mean, there's stuff inside the ballpark. You know, once you get in there, certainly your advice is warranted. But I think getting to the game and the parking, and then you have things like that are pretty cool. Uh, you know, for example, the Orioles will have like a tribute to Memorial Stadium, their old field for the Mets. Um, you know, you'll have something along the lines, uh, you know, where you'll have the the new dimensions and uh, you know photo mm-hmm. gallery and things like that. But um, what I really thought was the actual, uh, you know, what helped me was finding the parking and things like that. And I'll tell you what, sure, for the Pirates. At their ballpark, uh, PNC Park, I, I think you're right. I think City Field would be a top five, top six ballpark if they could recreate the atmosphere around the park. Now, it's a totally different scenario in Pittsburgh where you have office buildings, and it's right there in the middle. of. It's like being in Manhattan, our version of Manhattan down there. You have the walk mm-hmm. over the Clemente Bridge, but you have that nice environment. Like the McFadden's, what you see at McFadden's on that side of City Field, you have that outside pretty much the entire – PNC Park, and I think that's what holds City Field back. There's nothing they can do because it's probably going to become a uh, a parking lot for LaGuardia Airport. It sounds like, and the Mets have tried mm-hmm. to create like a mini village, but I think that's what holds City Field back, from my experience using your e guide to go to a couple of parks, uh, both sure. the DC Park and and Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. Yeah, and and that's an important thing. You know, you talked about getting to the ballpark. That's that's always been one of the challenges, especially when the ballparks are located in downtown areas like they are today. You have so many options to get to the ballpark, but if you've never been there before, I mean, uh, if I told somebody, if somebody's going to Camden Yards, one of the things that I recommend to them is that if you're going to park there, if you're going to actually drive to a game at Camden Yards, you should book your parking in advance because, and I have learned this from some really tough experiences, driving in Baltimore is very, very difficult, especially downtown on a Friday night where you've got all these people going into the Inner Harbor, all these people going to the game. And 
Camden Yards is just one example, but if any ballpark is downtown, and if you think you're going to be there on a night where there's something else going on downtown, then, hey, take public transit, and here's how you do it. Baltimore's very good public transit as far as just getting to a ball game. I don't know if I'd rank it among the best, but the light rail is pretty good. You can park for free somewhere, and it drops you off right at the front door of the ballpark. And you talk about the the outside scene, especially in a place like Pittsburgh, and I was just there recently – that's even more important today because as much as uh, as much as the ballparks today just have these wide varieties of food options, it's all pretty expensive too. And you're going to want to save some money, and most ballparks will let you bring food in today. And you're going to want to save some money on things like peanuts and and water and and anything that the ballpark will let you bring inside. And PNC Park is great for that because if you're parking at the foot of the Fort Duquesne and, and and sixth lot at the foot of the Clemente Bridge, there's all sorts of vendors there. You can get a T-shirt, you can get a hat, you can get a, get a bag of peanuts, a, you know, some bottled water, and it's all so much cheaper than than going inside. And that's one of the things that I recommend to people the most. Uh, and like I said, getting there, it's a, it's Nationals Park is another example. Most people take the train to the, the the Metro train to Nationals Park, not so much because there isn't parking options. But you're not going to park anywhere within a mile of that ballpark for less than for less than twenty five or thirty dollars. So, yeah, getting there is one of the things that I that I try to focus on because there's a whole lot of options for getting to uh, to City Field, to Camden Yards, PNC Park, or whatever. And there's there's choices like going there by bicycle and going there by ferry boat. You you can take a a ferry boat to City Field from New Jersey from the um, I forget the name of it. It's Sea Streak is is the name of the company, but that's you know if you're looking for some kind of romantic thing to do, and that's another thing you can do in Pittsburgh. You can take a ferry boat from Station Square, the the Gateway Clipper, and you know have a nice romantic night out if you're into that kind of thing. The only and this is not your fault. So I park in a multi-tiered deck right outside the Clemente Bridge and uh, for the Pirate right. game, and I actually left probably a little early eighth inning, got over there, and when you're in that in that multi-tiered parking deck, your GPS doesn't work. So I get out. Of course, I make the wrong turn. I get twisted around. It gets very confusing. I'm in the, I get twisted around to the point I'm in the neighborhoods, and I'm going down these hilly roads that are basically – my car's nose is almost completely down, and I'm like, geez, thank God it's not the winter and it's snowing. I'd slide right down the hill into oblivion over there, but that's not your fault. Well, that was me. I, I decided to not – I said, I don't, I, I'll just go this way. I'll wait for the GPS to kick in, and I should have been a little bit more patient, but it can get a little confusing when you're out there uh, right around where PNC Park is. That that actually the same thing just happened to me recently because I was in that Fort Duquesne and Six garage, which is still my favorite place to park in Pittsburgh. But the same which thing is, happened you, to me. I, your had to, I took your yeah, I, your I, I know, and I still struggled a little bit in downtown Pittsburgh getting out of the area. And I had to, I, and just like you, I had to wait for the GPS to turn on and say, okay, here's here's the road you need to get on. But um, yeah, maybe I'll add something about that to the PNC Park e-guide. So I'll, I'll keep that in there mind for know. the future. Public public service. Now, all right, so I want to get to a couple of parks in a, in a minute that fans, if they're Mets fans, may want to travel to this uh, this summer into September. Um, but first, what are your – the parks out of your 16 parks, and if you want to see them, it's at ballparkeguides.com. Out of your 16 parks right now, soon to be 15 when Turner Field is no more, what are your top five? What do you got uh, for me as your top five? And don't well, throw City I'll... Field in there if you don't like them. It was, we, we don't, give us your honest opinion. Well, I would put City Field in my top ten, and I would put Citizens Bank Park in Philly in my top ten. My top five are uh, 
PNC Park in Pittsburgh is always is always a great experience, and I love going there. It's a beautiful ballpark. Uh, I love Camden Yards partly just because I'm an Orioles fan, and I you know I get a little more excited about going to a ball game there. Wrigley and Fenway will always be among my favorites. Uh, the baseball experience there is always it's classic. It's the kind of thing that's been built up over over a century, and, and you know it, you see it, you feel it when you're you feel that kind of uh, history when you're walking around there. The, like this is the way people have been going to games for a century. Um, for that number, that elusive number five, it's kind of tough of the 16 that I have guides for. Uh, I really love Comerica Park in Detroit, and I think that's a ballpark that probably doesn't get the respect that it should. And I think that's pr- uh, partly because everybody loves Tiger Stadium. Everybody hated to see it go. I mean, it would be like replacing Fenway, replacing Wrigley. That was a, a classic ballpark. I think it was there for 80-some years. And there were a lot of people that were just not happy to see it go, even as great as Comerica Park is. But thats it's a pretty nice experience out there in Detroit. Um, there's a whole lot of taverns out there that will take you to the ball game. Uh, the ballpark is is uh, got a classic feel. There's, it's like you said, with the outside vendors, there's a whole lot of that. Uh, a great view of downtown Detroit from inside the ballpark. And I've always had a great experience there. So I think Comerica Park might be number five of all the ones that I've, uh, that I've written books about. And I also, um, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to not give a shout out to Miller Park in Milwaukee. And I know a, a lot of people don't like indoor baseball and I'm one of them. But it's nice to be able to count on a game being played when you go to Milwaukee. And it's also Milwaukee, the atmosphere there is just so great. It's such a great baseball town. And it's a game there is just an all-day celebration with the tailgating and all the bars. Everybody's in on the scene. It's just an all-day celebration. And Brewers fans, these are people that camp out for camp out for tickets when they go first go on sale in February. And you get thousands of them. I'm not talking about like a few hundred people. You're talking like a couple of thousand people go to this Arctic tailgate in February. That's, that gives you an idea how much Milwaukee loves baseball. And I always enjoy that experience too. That's interesting. They almost treat it like it's a, a Packers type of game when you, when you're describing it. Uh, and you may, you may have actually answered my question because the Mets are going to be at Comerica park later this summer, Detroit. I, I would have been a little surprised there. Cause I know that some people have told me they have some concerns about safety I mean, Detroit, unfortunately, doesn't have the greatest reputation, but it sounds like you debunked that, that if you want to go and see the Mets and you want to stay somewhere, I mean, obviously, you'd have to figure out what's a good place to stay uh, in terms of hotels and whatnot, but safety, if, you, if you're smart, safety's not going to be an issue getting to the Tigers game at Comerica Park. Well, I, one of the things I tell people about is that there are certain places where you don't want to leave your car. Uh, and, and Detroit, is, more so than other cities, is a place yet where you're right. People are going to be concerned. Uh, I, I tell people that the Greektown Casino Garage is a terrific place to park. You might actually get away with parking there for free, as I've done the last couple of times I've been there. But uh, people in Detroit, people have told me Greektown's not a place you want to be uh, you know, uh, hanging out later in the evening. You can go get your car and and leave but it's not a place where you want to be hanging out later in the evening i think at most ballparks you have you have such a big police presence at at ball games you know the the team doesn't want to get a reputation for having a ballpark that's not safe to go to um you have such a police presence at games i think if you park in the kind of places that i recommend people do uh maybe park at a bar where you can take a shuttle to the game detroit has quite a few of those or uh, the Greek Town Casino, or right up at the Fox Theater near the ballpark isn't too terribly expensive, especially if you arrive there a little early, which is a neat little trick that I suggest to people. I've, I've paid $2 to park at a Tigers game doing that. I don't know if you can still do that today. Uh, 
But like I said, it, it's not something to be overly concerned about, but there are certain places where you don't want to leave your car. Uh, like across the highway, there's a, there's a whole section of condominiums, and I, and I actually asked a Tiger's employee about that. And he said he stopped parking there when his car was broken, broken into for the fourth time. And I'm thinking, who parks their car in a place where it, uh, it gets broken into three times? <laughs> who keeps parking their car there? <laughs> but uh, I, I think people just view that as a part of life in Detroit. And I think the important thing is to just make sure you don't have anything showing in your car. Uh, but also, you know, there's certain places you just don't want to park your car. But I, I, I try to warn people about that. Yeah, and uh, you know that's a very good point. Uh, I have with me Kurt Smith, BallparkEGuides.com. If you're making a trip, uh, you, obviously you guys all probably know about City Field, but it'd be interesting to see his thoughts on City Field. Uh, you know, anytime you you go to a park, as much as I'm sure you Mets fans do, you want to see what others outsiders think of it. But if you want to go, he's got uh, to a trip. He's got 16 big league ballparks he's been to. Uh, I'm curious, Wrigley Field. You've been there since they've changed some of the renovation out there with the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no more hanging out. Over there on the, uh, you know, I guess they're blocked now. Those uh, those those seats uh, in the the apartments across the way. Have you right. been to the new setup at uh, Wrigley Field? I I was there last year while the renovations were kind of like in progress, and I saw the the left field video board for myself. And it's not that the rooftops are all gone. There's there's still a few on Waveland. There's still a few on Sheffield Avenue where people can go and watch the game. I think the Cubs have bought most of those up now. So now you're just paying the Cubs directly if you want to sit on the rooftop and watch a game. I was very struck by, and I, I don't know if there's a better way that they could have done this. I have to think that there was. But I was very struck by the the way the whole aesthetic of Wrigley Field was changed by that big scoreboard in left field, and now they have a big one in right field as well. Uh, it kind of like diminished the the whole value of that hand operated scoreboard in center field. In addition to taking away the view from the rooftops, which I always thought was kind of an essential uh, part of the whole Wrigley Field experience, was just when you saw people um, filling the stands in these rooftops. I mean, filling them. They, they, you saw stand, grandstands full of people sitting on top of, of houses. You really felt like the whole neighborhood was part of a Cubs game. And you still – that atmosphere is still there today, but the, the, the video board has changed a lot of that. And I'm gonna, it's, I know a lot of Cubs fans are, are more interested in seeing a team that's, uh, that's producing on the field, but it really changed a lot of the aesthetic of it, and I wasn't sure if I liked it all that much. It's going to take me a few years to get used to that, but uh, that's just – that's that's the way it is in modern day baseball, and uh, we all have to live with that. What's the worst ballpark you've been to? <laughs> well, that's an I, easy have, one. I have a feeling um, I'm looking at it. I think I think I know, but the, before I say what I thought it would be, you tell me what you what you got. Uh, of the ones that I've written books for, my least favorite it, my least favorite is Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay, and and I think it. that's for obvious reasons. It's yep. It's indoors, it's AstroTurf. I mean, it's everything, you know, baseball fans kind of got tired of back in the day. Uh, But I will say this about Tropicana Field. The ball game experience isn't horrible there. And there's there's a lot of things that are good about it that I think people who are comparing it to other ballparks might might not really think about too much. For one, you know you're going to see a game. And for for another thing, you're going to see a game in air conditioning in a place where you really don't want to be outdoors in July. I'm sure you've heard that they're going to be replacing the ballpark in Arlington 
with a retractable roof dome, partly because of the high temperatures in Texas. Uh, it's the same thing in Florida, except you have this uh, unbelievable humidity. You get rainstorms almost daily. So it's kind of they didn't really have a choice but to put a dome there. And there's a lot of neat things about Tropicana Field. They have a great food selection there. They, they great Cuban sandwiches and um, a good restaurant in the, in the place. I don't, I don't remember the name of it right there, but um, the concourse areas are really neat. They've got this big statue of a ball player halfway through the wall, reaching out to make a catch. I mean, there's there's a lot of neat things there. They have a cigar bar, and the the Rays have done a lot of things to make the experience better for fans and and more affordable for fans and and. I like hearing the cowbells in, in this big dome when the, when the opposing batter has two strikes on them. So there's a lot of cool things about the place. It's just that it's indoors, it's AstroTurf, and, and it's kind of got yeah. a sterile feel to Boring, it. Boring, ugly. So, yeah, it's sterile feel. Yeah. I, yeah. You and, can and, see and that from watching like, on TV. Yeah, and it was just like watching a game in uh, – in Montreal back when the Expos were there. I remember going to see a game in the last year that they were there. And it was the same kind of thing. It's just you just get the feeling that baseball is not meant to be enjoyed this way. Not at all. So what was the park that you gave us some of your favorites, but one last question before I let you run. What was the park that you had very low expectations for? You, uh, you booked the trip, you went there, and you came away going, wow, I was so wrong on this one. <laughs> well, it would take oh, me some could. thought to think about that. Uh, I mentioned Miller Park in Milwaukee, and I will tell you that the first time I visited the place, I, and this is incredible for me to think about now, but the first time I visited Miller Park in Milwaukee, I didn't know about the tailgating scene there. I didn't know that there are 50, close to 50 bars slash restaurants, whatever, that will give you a free parking and a ride to the ballpark and, and Every one of these restaurants is different. I mean, some of them have bowling alleys, you know, pool tables, karaoke, whatever. Um, so I didn't really fully appreciate what a what a total baseball experience you have in Milwaukee. And I wasn't real crazy about Miller Park at the time. I just felt like this monumental, spectacular, big retractable roof dome just didn't belong in a small market, if, if that makes any sense. But now uh, – uh, Milwaukee is one of my favorite cities to visit. It's I always have a great time there, and part of the reason is just because of the way the whole city embraces embraces Milwaukee baseball. It's it's so much fun, and I always have a great time. And I I would say of any of the of any of the ballparks where I initially just maybe didn't like it at first, but my initial opinion of it has changed so drastically. I would say Miller Park in Milwaukee. And you know what you can. You conspicuously left Yankee Stadium out of all this conversation. So I, <laughs> when you said well, top I, five, you know, they, they, we're okay with that. There's no problem with that. I'm just, I've been to the New Yankee Stadium. It's just going to the Bronx, the Yankee. It, I understand the history. It was just never for me. Uh, yeah, and I understand what you're saying. And you have to treat the Yankee Stadium experience as as, as something of a different animal as the other teams. Uh, of course, the Yankees are going to give a nod to the history. They're the most successful franchise in sports. And you sort of expect that the place is going to be a museum. Um, it's just I don't know that it's all that much fun because of that. Uh, there's, it's not a place where I would look forward to bringing the kids because there isn't a whole lot for kids to do there. Uh, and it's also a place where – if you want any kind of a decent seat, you're going to be paying a whole lot of money, at least the way the Yankees are arranging things now. And, of course, you know, because it's the Yankees and I'm an Orioles fan, it's always <laughs> it's always going to be um, a, a, a tough thing for me to go there and, and watch the Yankees win if they do win. Um, 
Uh, Yankee Stadium is great if you're, especially I think an older Yankee fan that appreciates the history. I think it's great for that. Um, but I don't know that the ball game. I I, I prefer City Field. Uh, I don't want to irritate any Yankees fans by saying that. I, I the baseball experience in New York. I prefer City Field just as a total experience in itself. Uh, but Yankee Stadium has its good points. But it's very expensive and it's very museum like, and I don't, I don't know that it's just such a, a pleasant baseball experience for people traveling. Uh, you might experience the history and appreciate the Babe Ruth Plaza and the and the Yankees Museum and the and the great the Great Hall and the Monument Park, but they really beat you over the head with that history. And and that's fine if you're a Yankee fan. If you're if you're not, maybe not so much. All right. The the site is ballparkeguides.com at ballparkeguides on Twitter. Kurt Smith. Kurt, you got anything coming up? New ballparks you're visiting, things you want to promote. Give the listeners an idea of what to expect from ballparkeguides.com going forward. Well, I have a free email newsletter that I feverishly put out every Sunday morning. And today's newsletter featured PNC Park in Pittsburgh, as, uh, as we talked about. Uh, next week I will be featuring Nationals Park, and I think that's something Mets fans will definitely want to know about. For sure. No, absolutely. Be some great games there as we get into the heat of the pennant race this summer. Kurt, enjoy. Happy Father's Day. Enjoy the rest of your day with your family, and thanks a lot for coming on here on a, on a holiday, and we'll, we'll catch up soon, man. Okay? Great. Thanks so much for having me on, Mike. It was a real pleasure. And that's Kurt Smith, uh, ballparkeguides.com, at ballparkeguides is the Twitter feed. Hey, we're going to wrap up. Final thoughts right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. That was a great segment. Uh, Kurt Smith. I always find it interesting. I've uh, I've been to PNC Bar- Park. I've I've been to Nationals Park. I mean, I've been to a few parks, not as many as Kurt, but it's always fun seeing um, a different ballpark, a different experience. And if you're going to be traveling this summer, maybe go out to Detroit. I wouldn't have thought of Detroit. That was what he put out there as one of his, I guess I would put, call it the underrated uh, park that I didn't expect him to say that you might have a good time there. I'd still watch out where I park my car, but Nonetheless, uh, interesting stuff from Kurt Smith. Check him out at uh, ballparkeguides.com. Well, that's it, guys. Uh, you can check out this show, of course, on MetsmerizedOnline.com. Go to the Talking Mets link. You can check me out on iTunes. Of course, I want to thank uh, Kurt Smith of Ballpark E-Guides. I also want to thank Greg Prince. Check out Amazing again. Check out Greg Prince on Twitter, at Greg underscore Prince. Happy Father's Day. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. I'm your host, Mike Silva. I'll see you next week.
Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio.